The State of the Internet virtual event is being held July 16th, 2020 by sponsor Thousand Eyes, recently acquired by Cisco. The lineup of speakers is for real, including Jeff Huston from APNIC, Roger Barranco from Akamai, and David Belson of the Internet Society. Hooli's Gavin Belson could not make it, but you should still register at thousandeyes.com slash stateoftheinternet2020 with hyphens in between each word. One more time, thousandeyes.com slash stateoftheinternet2020 with hyphens in between each word. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud, and boy, do we have a heavy show for you today. We are going deep on an application architecture that decided against using streaming telemetry. The big idea is you've got an infrastructure, you're trying to pull information about that infrastructure and keep track of what's going on, and streaming telemetry's been all the rage. Our guest today, though, they're not using streaming telemetry. They looked at it, they considered it. Not a fit. So we dive into the problem that they're trying to solve, the application architecture that they came up with, and uh, how they're doing it instead of streaming telemetry. Uh, Ned, again, a heavy conversation. What grabbed your attention? You know, people tend to think of polling like like the old grandpa shaking his fist at the cloud, like, in my day, we only had polling and we liked it. And that's not what's going on here. What's going on is they took a look at their requirements and they figured out what solution best fit those requirements. And in this case, it happened to be polling. And not to ruin anything, there's some XML in there too. Woo! So that was really cool to me. And it was it was a really interesting conversation that gave me some stuff to chew on for the next few days. Oh, and you reminded me that you, you really got to stay and listen because in the bottom, maybe third or quarter of the show, we talk about how they're scaling this thing, which involves uh, Kubernetes running on uh, GKE. Uh, so it all is very cloudy and a very modern solution indeed. So please enjoy this conversation with Kevin Landwith, Director of Service Reliability at Packafabric, and Carl Martinari, Network Reliability Engineer at Packafabric. Carl uh, Montanari, starting with you. Hey, man, would you want like a sentence or two introduce yourself to the nice people listening to Day 2 Cloud today? Absolutely. Um, Carl Montanari. I'm a network reliability engineer. So basically kind of a network background and then trying to Python all the things uh, for the most part. Kevin Landreth, uh, same question to you, man. Who are you and what do you do? Uh, hey, Kevin Landreth and... Uh... I'm now the director of service reliability. So that means is everything from the network to the systems, you know, they have to stay up. Uh, I was employee number eight at Packet Fabric. So I'm now responsible for everything I built. Oh, good. So, so, so it's your fault. So, okay, good. Well, we're having a conversation about streaming telemetry today because this this came. Carl and I have known each other for years. We've recorded a few podcasts together over the years. Even met each other in person a time or two, and it came up uh, that you guys are not. I guess fans of streaming telemetry as so many other people are like, oh my gosh, streaming telemetry, it's the best thing ever. And you're like, mm, well, maybe, maybe, but maybe not. And then reasons. So, so Carl, let's start with you, man. For, for purposes of this conversation, let's, let's define streaming telemetry. Sure. So uh, streaming telemetry in you know, specifically network context would be when your router or switch or whatever is actually streaming that telemetry straight off of the box uh, back to some kind of collector, as opposed to kind of the historical SNMP polling, um, you know, mechanism that we've been using for for so long in in the network world, or I guess everywhere. <laughs> SNMP is pervasive, unfortunately. Well, okay. So why is that um, the the thing that everybody's all excited about? What are the the pros of streaming telemetry? Why does everybody say that they want that? Um, you know, I think there's probably a, a bit of a bad taste from SNMP that's probably part of uh, all of this. Um, but I think definitely streaming telemetry tends to be pretty friendly to devices because they don't need to be pulled. They can just directly export data when it's available as opposed to, you know, just constantly getting hammered by an NMS of, you know, whatever flavor. Um, so rather than having to, to have that NMS just hammer the network and be kind of a bottleneck, you can just directly off of the boxes stream everything back out. Uh, to whatever your collector is, which uh, potentially is is an easier sell for some organizations or some people. Now, when you say stream everything, is that is that what you mean? Like I'm getting like one telemetry feed off the box, or do I subscribe to telemetry feeds? Or yeah, so in uh, kind of MDT or model dri driven telemetry, you would be you know, basically setting up a contract about what the the device is going to stream. 
back to the collector. So you would you would set that up and and kind of determine what things you want to stream. Obviously, it's not just going to uh, dump all the bits at you. Um, you get to kind of pick and choose. And uh, you know whether you're using Open Config or Yang or whatever, uh, the models are going to kind of be able to define what you're able to to pull uh, or not pull, <laughs> actually stream off of the box. I'm envisioning just a thousand screaming voices all at once. That that's what streaming telemetry sounds like to me. It's not you going out and asking a bunch of things questions. They're all just screaming at you at the same time. So I'm a, that doesn't sound ideal to me. But maybe I'm missing something. So like, what's wrong with streaming telemetry? Why everyone seems to want it, but it sounds like it might not be the greatest thing. <laughs> Well, so one one of the things that's, you know, you shouldn't be too scared of streaming telemetry because one of the things it does is it's still going to act very much like a an interval uh, or depending on the platform's implementation, it's either going to come to you at intervals uh, or it's going to work more like S-Flow where it's like X number of, you know, uh, bytes have been transferred then it'll emit another one. So kind of like S-Flow, you're not, you get a stream of data, but it's obviously not like a mirror. So you're not going to get a packet every time a error counter increments or something like that. Okay, so maybe at not least there's too, too terrible. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I, I imagine there are some downsides after all, the, the whole point of the this episode is is not using it. So what would you say some of the downsides are to streaming versus traditional polling? Yeah, I'll go ahead and start, I guess. Um, it's like one of the things with, uh, and I guess I should start, no, there's nothing necessarily wrong with streaming. It was just a choice that was made, you know, in our environment that we didn't want to go that route. Um, one of the kind of the main things would be, how do you handle aliveness? So if, if you're relying on your your box to go ahead and stream, um, you know, to your collector, uh, but nothing's happening on that box, do you know if the box is alive or dead? And obviously there's there's ways to handle all of this type of things, but that's that's certainly something that, that could come up. Um, if you're going to stream, obviously your, your routers and switches need to be able to be pointed to something to stream to, of course. Um, at some point, you're going to have to configure that. If, if your source where they where all the devices stream to moves around, you know, it's, uh, maybe you have an HA setup, um, you might have to repoint your streams. Again, you can work around that as well, but these are just kind of uh, things that you have to kind of consider when you're streaming and, and reasons that we may, you know, prefer to not. But I think really the the biggest point, and I know you guys just did a show uh, with Twilio not too long ago, and, and this came up on that show a, a lot. And I think it's really the, the main thing that we care about is, that if you're streaming, you you might not be able to get all of the context around what's happening on that device at that time, or um, you know what's going on in the network as a whole. So you're just kind of you know sending bits to a collector, and 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 then you have to kind of figure out what to do with those bits at some point. Um, and so wrapping that context in the you know the bits that represent that slice of time um, is really important thing. And so like we'll, we'll talk about obviously a little bit more of how we kind of include that contextual information. Um, but that's, that's something that's a little bit harder to do, you know, at least in our opinion, um, when you're just talking about streaming. So the polling, it gives us more kind of flexibility around gathering all that data and kind of wrapping that context up with the bits. Right. It, it almost sounds like when you're setting up that initial device, you can have your polling system reach out and set up polling on that device, give it its configuration, and then start pulling it for information and intervals. If you've got a collector set up, that's more of a, it's incumbent on you to configure that device ahead of time to know what collector to to point to, unless I guess you have something fancier, like a configuration management system doing all that for you. Is that sort of what you're uh, you're getting at yeah. with the, the device? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and obviously, you know, Ansible or, or Nornir or whatever, like you could obviously configure a bunch of devices relatively easy. I think the the bigger, but it is something to consider, obviously. Uh, but really, the bigger bit is just the that context and you know observability, as charity majors would say, right? Um, like, how do we get all of that data? Because if we're just streaming bits off of this device, we're we're not necessarily capturing any of the other information about what's going on. Um, it's like, for example, we may stream interface counters, um, you know, to a collector. But without the context of what is going on on that interface from like a light levels perspective and what's the optic look like and all of this other stuff is is data that we want to wrap with that, um, you know, the bits that are getting streamed back or in our case, mm. pulled. 
In other words, it's not enough to have the numbers. You need to have um, some way to interpret what those numbers mean. So if you don't, I mean, so context could mean a lot of things. So for example, you could, like in a traditional NMS, let's say you pull an SNMP object, you're also doing syslog collection at the same time. So you could get context from syslog events that come in that uh, provide the context you need around SNMP counters. Uh, We talk about that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, potentially. Yeah, go ahead, Kevin. Carl. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was actually going to jump in before Ethan like led right into it. Uh, so yeah, timestamp alignment is one of the things that, you know, like a more technical reason why streaming telemetry wasn't used at Packer Fabric or whatever is like, you know, even though you have syslog, you know, it may be two to three seconds from the last interval. And so now you're having to fuzz, uh, you know, when... S- when the statistics happen and it requires a lot more kind of, I guess, layer eight kind of interpretation of what went on, so to speak. So, so in either case, there is potentially a human involved, somebody that kind of understands the system and can help with that context too. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. So like, I mean, I think everybody knows that you never look at any of the stats until there's a problem or you don't, no one reads this log on like a morning basis. They look at it when there's a problem. And then, and if your timestamps aren't aligned, then you do have to involve a human or maybe some type of more intensive program to kind of like fix that context for you. Well, whether it's like looking at error counters and trying to correlate it to router logs and whatnot. And I think part of like the main thing we're trying to get at, maybe uh, poorly here, is that the the kind of middle layer tier uh, in our setup uh, that we'll kind of talk about here in a minute is where we add a lot of that context. So as opposed to just sending data off to a collector and then you know something bad happens and we have to go uh, figure it out and figure out the context at that point, we try to wrap all of the context up in that middle layer. And we could do that because we're, we're pulling and we have built this kind of big apparatus that can uh, capture all that data, make it all relevant, make it uh, kind of standardized into a, a format that we would expect um, and do that live, like as part of the polling process, as opposed it, to, you know, streaming it off and doing it at some other Okay. Point. I mean, the, the way I'm imagining this, the way you've described it is that you've got multiple data sources that you're pulling and pulling from, and you are programmatically, whatever the, as you put it, the apparatus you've built, is able to provide context through correlation. You've got a lot of different data chunks that you can put together and present in such a way that context is available for the human, as opposed to, here, human, here's data. I hope you can figure it out. Exactly, exactly. So we just try to do all of that as part of this pipeline. Got it. Okay. Okay. So we, we've talked at a high level about streaming telemetry, why we might want it, why we might not want it, in, in your case especially, why it's not the thing you selected. Uh, and, and by the way, Ned, screaming telemetry, I'm keeping that. That's a thing we're going to keep now. <laughs> not streaming, but screaming. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so you guys from Pack of Fabric that have built this, this apparatus, uh, before we get into the details of that, what's the business problem? What is it that you're monitoring? Why? Tell us about the, the thing that you're trying to solve so um as network operators are probably well aware of is moving just moving optics between ports on a router or a line car can really mess with your statistics so it's like oh okay yeah we're gonna move this long haul circuit from you know this line car to this one but now because you've done that you have to kind of like look at two different graphs to see like well is this the same performance is this the same you know, level of CRCs, what we were seeing, even though we shouldn't see any, you know, it's like, how does, how do these two graphs line up in, from two different time periods type of problem? Okay. Let's see, let's even zoom out from that, you know, to, to go even higher, you know, at, at the core, you've got uh, a dynamic network that, you know, people can pro- like a customer could programmatically come in and say, I need a circuit that goes from here to here. And then that could change later. And you guys are programmatically reacting to those customer requests. Am I in the ballpark? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Let me back up a little bit. Uh, so we have an API. We kind of like automate standing up EPL and EVPL circuits in between uh, ports. Um, it could either be customer ports or cloud ports or whatever. We have an API that we can do that in. So 
from that, customers can turn up and turn down ports rather quickly. I mean, within however long it takes to run a cross-connect. But one of the problems that does more traditional is the optics not working. The cross-connect got landed on the wrong DMARC, whether it be, uh, most of the time it's not our side, uh, for reasons I won't go into right now. But, you know, let's say the optics not working. You got to switch out the optic. It's, you know, we accidentally put two of their ports on the same line card. Uh, so we want to, you know, like diversify them and they, you know, they request that, you know, we, we move it or when we have to take down like RMA chassis and swap it out to another one and we want to pre-move all those ports, we want to preserve the statistics and the customer's, uh, I guess, port relationship <laughs> and all that data. Not, not kill their history just because you had to pick up and move them to a different physical piece of equipment. Exactly. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, even so maybe a little bit higher level than than all of that is the the business problem or the use case, right? Is that we need to be able to display all this data to the customers via the portal, and then part of our, our provisioning process also relies on um, getting kind of live data off of the router, so we know what ports are available and and what ports are assigned to what customer and all of that stuff. So this whole yeah, I keep using the word apparatus. I don't know if that's a good word for this or bad one. Um, but this whole apparatus is basically geared toward feeding kind of that monster, right? Feeding the portal with all of this data. So that, that's the, you know, the use case in a, in a nutshell. Yeah, so like in the portal, we have things like like, like light levels, graphs for traffic, uh, you know, error counters, uh, you know, just all your kind of like standard graphs for the customer. Since they obviously can't pull our network gear, we try to provide that for them. But moving devices or swapping out optics shouldn't reset the customer's statistics. Right. Yeah. You want that whole process to be transparent to your customers. As far as they're concerned, nothing happened. Everything is good. And my statistics are my statistics. And that seems like that would be really hard to do with the, with the streaming telemetry angle. So you're handling that in another way. So how, how are you handling knowing that particular customer has moved to a different device. Is there a tag or something you're using to sort of like follow the dots for them? Magic? Oh, no, I like uh, magic. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a wave of the hand. Nothing to see here. Yeah. Oh, okay, no. good. Well, this is one of those. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so what we do is we provide, you know, we put metadata in some format, I will say, because it's not like a uniform format uh, on ports and things like that. Uh, we don't have to necessarily put it on the device, but either way, when we pull the data, we have to provide some type of alignment with the history of when that port was pulled and who it belonged to at that specific time. So that's Right now, we're just putting metadata in various formats on the ports themselves. So you've, okay. you've got, a, you've got a, 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 this, this big system um, apparatus and your it is customer facing so customers are consuming the data that you're presenting it is part of an automated circuit provisioning system that's got some uh, dynamic qualities to it you might need to pick up a port and move it for example um, and you are not using streaming telemetry because that just doesn't make a lot of sense here you're, you're not a fan of that in this particular use case so how are you gathering the data then? Is it, what is it, like a mashup of SNMP and other stuff? Yeah, good question. So uh, in general, we are getting the data uh, via NetConf. Um, depending on the, the vendor on the back end, there's either models or not. Um, it might just be bare RPC kind of calls in case of Juniper for some of this, those boxes. Um, we are also doing a little bit of um, just over SSH gathering data. Um, for, for some kind of corner case use case stuff that got a little bit funky with, with trying to get it over NetConf. Um, we're at the moment where those are the two kind of main ingestion uh, sources or tools or whatever. Um, so, but yeah, so, we could so absolutely NetConf add would other. Be, you need to format a query in a particular way against a NetConf API. You're going to get back structured data that you'll know what's where because it's following a particular Yang model. You mentioned open config earlier. Yep, yep, exactly. So in, in uh, NetConf, Yang is going to just return XML. So pretty much almost all of the data that we're, we're pulling out of the devices comes back in, a, in XML, which is obviously really, really nice. Um, 
didn't didn't love XML for for a while, but XPath is is ridiculously powerful. So um, so yeah, we get we get data back in XML format. Um, in the case You'll of you, need Junipers, to sell me on something that'll ma- help me love XML because I'm I'm just <laughs> I'm in the JSON yeah. camp right now. I I'm mm-hmm. with you. It's 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 definitely like more friendly to look at and and certainly easier. Uh, but XPath, man, it's it's a hell of a drug. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. Gonna, I want to speak to that. I, I'm solely responsible for converting, tainting, or destroying Carl's opinion about JSON and loving X, XML XPath. I understand the gripes with XML. I'm not a fan of what has happened to XML, but XML and XPath is like way better than any type of uh, what is that? That JQ uh, query language to find stuff in JSON. So, I don't know. Hmm. We can dive into that in like a different podcast if you want. Uh, yeah, that's a whole other show, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot of fun though. Like, there's, I think XML got a bad rap, well, especially with the SOAP <laughs> API. Um, but everything bef- that predates that is actually really nice stuff. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. I'll say like last comment on XML and JSON. So I started out with XML when I was building a website way back like 10 years ago and it was fine. I liked it. And then everybody started hating it and I went off to do other things and I came back and everyone was like, JSON, it's the bomb. You should do it. And I tried using JQ and I was like, this is not intuitive at all, but I will just beat my head on this wall until it works. And it does work eventually. (laughs) I, it's a readability thing for me, man. That's all. Key value pairs are like it's so straightforward. XML like that's a lot of brackets and nesting, and I don't want to have to read through that. It makes my head hurt. That's all. It's it's maybe it's a laziness thing. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, okay. So we're we're consuming XML. You've got XPath. What is that? A Python library? What is XPath doing for me? Uh, so we use LXML is the is the library we use for parsing all of that okay. in Python. But XPath would be like a, basically a, a magical search utility. Um, as part of kind of the XML that you can search for elements with particular tags and and with you know names matching patterns and all of that kind of stuff. And in that single API call where you get back that structured XML, you're getting back a whole lot of data elements that are there, as opposed to SNMP polling, where you're really polling for an OID and then maybe having to walk the tree or whatever it is, where there's a lot of calls and back and forth. You're just saying, here, give me this chunk of data so you've got some efficiency there yeah so part of the, the the kind of that first stage of polling where we actually you know go out and tickle the routers um one of the things that we we do there is we try to not ever filter so in some cases you get like a million lines of xml back from you know some isis routes or something like that um, and we do need to filter just because that takes <laughs> like way too long uh, to fit into kind of our our you know once a minute ish polling interval right um but in general, we try to not filter. That way, we have all of the data for that context of what's going on at that time. What's the config look like? What are all the interface things? And then we can decide to use that data or not. But at least we get it. Um, and since we're already connected to the device, you know, it's not really that big of a deal to just go ahead and grab it all and, and kind of button it up into a, a message to kind of ship off to the next uh, tier in this apparatus. Well, I was curious about the next tier is because you get you're pulling this data and you're doing some data munging. You're you're maybe filtering depending on what your needs are on as little as possible. You said you were filtering. Are you keeping all of that data in a database? So the 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 data from the the polar um, gets buttoned up into a message that goes onto RabbitMQ, and then the middle tier uh, basically picks that message up and normalizes it. So we're, we're a multi-vendor network. Um, and so obviously we, we get different stuff from the, the different devices. Um, and we need to be able to make kind of sense of that and standardize that. So the, the next kind of hop in the, in the polling process takes the, the raw data and based on the, the type of device that it came from, uh, standardizes that data down and kind of squishes it down into a, uh, this is actually JSON, uh, into a JSON blob that is standardized to, doesn't matter what the type of the device is. Um, then that data then gets kind of punted back to the message queue where there's two different services that that pick that you know standardized unified uh, blob of data off of that message queue and does whatever it does with it. Uh, one of those things would be uh, putting things into Redis for kind of short-lived or like uh, 
really fresh kind of data that that changes maybe a lot. Um, and then the other thing would be putting data into Postgres for you know, longer term stuff, historical stuff like interface counters and light levels and, and all of that kind of thing. All right, there's, there's a few things we need to deconstruct here. So, so RabbitMQ. So we've got that's a uh, that that's a message bus is what. You know, correct me where I'm wrong here. I haven't actually worked with any apps that needed RabbitMQ. I've never set it up. But my understanding is it's a it's a pub sub message queue. I can publish things to that queue, and then I can subscribe to things that I want to take from that queue, and it gives me the ability to have multiple feeds going into it and multiple subscribers pulling data out of it. Am I about right? Yeah. Kevin, so, Kevin yeah, that's wants it. to go deeper. <laughs> well, so I don't want to go too deep into, into RabbitMQ itself. Uh, I just want to mention that it's based on a standardized protocol. So the behaviors of how messages go in and out and were re-delivered or not is very well-defined behavior. It is not a requirement for our particular use case. It's just we already had Rabbit and there was no reason to introduce something like Kafka or uh, some of the newer queuing systems that are out there today. Um, but yeah, it's essentially just a pub sub uh, for all intents and purposes here. Pausing the show for a moment to talk about virtual events. I know, I know, right? But this one genuinely grabbed my interest when our sponsor brought it up. Thousand Eyes, just acquired by Cisco, is hosting the State of the Internet on July 16th, 2020. And for the past couple of years, they've done an event called Cloud State, where they've revealed their research on how the big public cloud providers stack up from a network performance and connectivity perspective. And we've had them on the Heavy Networking Podcast to talk about the interesting bits from that report. The State of the Internet 2020 is an inaugural event. They're going to be launching new research on internet performance. Because Thousand Eyes, they measure network performance, right? Well, the Internet Performance Research is a measurement-based study of the availability and performance of the internet, plus key app delivery networks, like public cloud and CDNs and DNS providers, those sorts of networks. The report will chart performance over time, focusing this year on the impact of COVID-19 to the global networks that we all use. And the speakers. The speakers are the real deal and why I registered for this event myself. Jeff Huston from APNIC, Roger Barranco from Akamai, David Belson of the Internet Society, and several others are on the agenda. And this is an agenda that is not that long. The State of the Internet 2020 is a half-day exchange of ideas and data among experts and leaders in Internet and application delivery. They are going to cover the health and future of the internet, and since more and more of us are using the internet as critical infrastructure, this isn't just a throwaway discussion. As I said, I have registered myself, and if you'd like to tune in too, head over to thousandeyes.com slash state of the internet 2020 with hyphens in between each of the words, and save your spot for July 16th, or register to get the on-demand recording if you won't be able to make it live thousandeyes.com slash state of the internet 2020 with hyphens in between each word. And now back to the podcast. So from the RabbitMQ pub sub the, in the way that you're using it here, uh, Redis is one of your subscribers, or at least whatever the subscriber is, that data gets pulled from uh, RabbitMQ and ends up in Redis. And that's Redis is an in-memory database, correct? Yes and no. Redis does get persisted to disk, or depending on how you set it up, it is like persisted to disk. But in our use case, we're using it purely as like in memory. So yes. But so so performance and yeah. So for the performance perspective, Redis is like just crazy fast. But one of the things it provides us is a lot more power than some other in memory stores like. Um, like Memcache, which is very basic, or etcd, which is you know much more consistent, but a lot slower for what we want to do. So Memcache or Redis kind of fit that performance uh, and power type of balance that we were looking for. Right. Yeah. Etcd it it does offer that additional consistency, but there's a there's a penalty there. Right. There's a trade off. Yeah. So I can see why you'd go with Redis, where you're not so worried about consistency across the entire cluster. It's much more important that the data is available quickly. Um, yeah, exactly. So, and, and what is consuming Redis? Is it the the front end UI that the, the customer is working with, or is it something else as well? 
Yep, exactly. So a lot of the data, well, both of the both Postgres and Redis get consumed by by the portal, and uh, to know what's a, a orderable for for a port for a customer, or to populate those graphs that that Kevin was mentioning that we we draw, you know, for tra- uh, traffic patterns and light levels and all of that kind of stuff. Okay, and when we're talking about, I guess, the system overall and and how much data it's it's munging through, how many like devices? Are, are we talking about that are feeding into this and like how much data is being generated on, on I don't know, a daily basis, if you have like a rough idea of that? Yeah, so right now uh, we're t- pulling around 400-ish devices, obviously kind of goes up and down and, and bounces about a little bit, um, but roughly 400 devices of kind of multiple vendors and obviously multiple platforms within those vendors. Um and then the, maybe Kevin can kind of talk to the quantity of data. I don't know that I have any like super smart uh, <laughs> numbers or anything to throw out for that. Uh, but there's there's a fair amount. <laughs> maybe Kevin has more detail. Yeah, so it's a little hard to quantify <laughs> the amount of data, but it's definitely in the gigabytes per day. Uh, there's a bunch of like where we store it and compression and the data that comes off the routers is you know we throw it all away. It's hard to quantify here, but what we end up storing is, you know, probably 10 to 100 gigabytes, you know, in that range a day into Postgres. Do you roll that up or does that live natively forever? Uh, Natively forever. And we have performance roll-ups. So we can go back to what is currently a 60-second polling interval and look at any device at a one-minute interval for all of time. Obviously, with a performance penalty there, but I mean, it's possible. So, okay, that's a pretty substantial amount of data. But as you said, you are throwing you're pull, you're pulling a bunch of it in, but you are throwing a, a lot of it away that you've decided you don't need. Uh, is that because you're limited in how you can ask the question and the response that you get back? Because a lot of APIs, it's like, okay, you ask this question, here's the answer I'm going to give you, and you can't really. You know, why why not do more uh, filtering, I guess, if you're just going to end up throwing a lot of that data away anyway? As there hasn't been too much of a, a, a need or a reason to filter at, the, at that initial kind of very first polar stage. Uh, the only reason re- really that we've been filtering uh, and starting to kind of filter some things is because with some of the models, we get just such an exorbitant amount of data. But for the most part, we're already going to make a call. Everything's happening within that you know minute polling window. So as long as everything completes within that time frame, uh, we're, we're generally good to go. And we'll just take all the data that we can. And, and then at that next middleware tier, or whatever you want to call it, that's where we kind of basically grab that context. So uh, that middleware tier will emit a message JSON payload talking about interfaces, or for example, hmm. and um, we would basically take from all of the messages that came from the polar. We'll kind of pick and choose what data we need to incorporate in that interface message. So that way, there's a all of the context that we care about at that message layer. Could we filter? Certainly, but there hasn't been any kind of penalty for for not filtering, other than you know those couple queries that we do need to filter just from a time perspective at this point, and kind of more information the merrier uh, has kind of been the the motto there. So there's, there's two aspects of scaling that I think you've described so far. One, we got number of devices that you're pulling and the amount of data that you're pulling from those devices. So that's I think you said about 400 devices, right? Okay. And then with their different interfaces and so on. And then on the flip side of it, there's a front end. There's the people, the humans that are consuming this data there. I'm assuming there's dashboards and graphs or reports or things like this. So you've got to scale the back end and you've got to scale the the, the front end. Can you talk a bit about how that works? Yeah. So in general, there's kind of two main components uh, for the actual polling of the devices that happens as close to the devices as is practical. So on bare metal servers near, uh, near to a device. And that's, that's important because unless there's literally a device down, we almost never would miss a polling window and the data that gets pulled there kind of buffers up locally. Um, so that way, you know, even if that site gets chopped off, uh, we're still collecting all the data about the routers at that site and can, you know, ship it out. Because you've got a, a local polar to that yep. site. Yep, so that, exactly. that, that answers another question. You've got, this is a distributed polling, meaning you've exactly. got distributed databases too. 
N- not so much. So there's a local instance of Rabbit that runs at each of those pops, and that basically does kind of that buffering of those messages. So not necessarily in database. The the middleware and kind of the actual end parsing ha- actually happens in uh, GKE. Um, so we we can spawn up you know as many nodes as we need there and do the parsing there. So the the local pulling stuff pull as close to the source as possible, buffer it up in Rabbit if needed, um, and then that gets punted off to kind of the the big Rabbit in the sky. Um, which does the the rest of the kind of shuffling of messages around. <laughs> you just casually tossed GKE in, so you better tell us about that now. <laughs> whoa, whoa. You just casually tossed in the big rabbit, big in, rabbit the in the sky. Can <laughs> we park on that for a second? <laughs> okay. Oh, it's that good, paints a picture. I didn't know rabbits were made of GKE. Uh, tell so, me more. <laughs> th- this one is. Um, yeah, so, so GKE... Um, is, is basically where all of that middleware tier that we've been talking about lives. Um, so uh, you're kind of talking about scale and how do we scale and how do we par- par- the parse or process all of this data. Uh, words are hard. Um, and the way that we do that is we have a container per device, basically, um, for each of these kind of processing services. So we end up with you know, a couple thousand containers uh, doing their fair share of this parsing, whether it's kind of that first initial, uh, take all the XML, take all the data and, and kind of normalize it to our standard message format, or it's the, the thing that actually consumes that message and puts what it needs to into Redis or into, into Postgres. Uh, yeah, so a small note for everyone else, GKE is Google uh, Kubernetes engine. It's a managed Kubernetes cluster. So that's what he's talking about with containers. Yeah, that seems relevant, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to get sidetracked with big rabbit in the sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it, yeah. it produces containers like rabbits. You can yeah. say that. <laughs> that's that's true. Yeah, we that's definitely true. have a fair few. <laughs> yeah. So I'm so, curious. You you said one device per or one container per device. Uh, how long do those containers usually live? Is it just on the order of, uh, hey, I got to parse this XML and then I just go away? Or is it more long-lived than that? Uh, well, so so yeah. it's, a, it's a little... So, I mean, Carl kind of hand-waved it, but we actually run one container per device per layer of the application stack, uh, more specifically. So we have, uh, while the Polar runs you know, on bare metal, it is essentially containerized and we run, you know, like if we have six devices in a pop, we run six instances, you know, and then in Google container engine, or sorry, they don't call it that anymore. Kubernetes engine, we run a container per uh, processing apparatus. And then we run another container per device for writing that stuff to Redis. And then another one for writing it to Postgres. So all in all, they live for as long as possible but we have like 12,000, or sorry, not 12,000, 1,200, you know, kind of containers running right now in, in comparison to just like one or two like highly multi-threaded applications. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Each container has a, a purpose and a device and it does its thing. And if you need to add another device, you just, you have three more containers that get spun up to, to handle that. That's a pretty easy to predict the scale of it as your service grows. I'm, I'm curious, like, is it, are you eventually going to need to create multiple GKE clusters to handle different regions mm. or different customers? Or have you thought about what the scalability looks like once you go beyond a single cluster? Uh, yeah, so that's one of the neat things about Kubernetes and scaling is that uh, I think we may be limited somewhat to GKE's offering, but you can do worldwide manage like globally, you know, uh, kind of like, uh, I'm not saying this right. You can manage it through a single control plane, your entire global cluster, if so desired. I think what GKE will end up doing like one for a major continent, simplifying our apparatus. You can think of running each device container as Unix pipes. So we run a thing, we pipe it into the next one, pipe it into the next one, and so on. Yeah, so you already have a certain level of high availability and just being able to scale out a cluster with additional worker nodes I'd kind of built into the platform. That's not something you have to 
you know, configure another one and, and install Kubernetes and do all that, that that's managed all by Google, right? Yeah. In our case, yeah, we kind of went with that because uh, I think there's an entire meme about running uh, Kubernetes clusters on bare metal. So we decide not to. Don't become the meme. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Good advice in general. Yeah, and one one more note, kind of just about the container lifetime and and how that looks, and like, and also kind of to to the scaling bits is is all the stuff that's living in GKE uh, doesn't really matter where it lives from a like a geography perspective. Um, You know, we want the pulling to happen close to the to the device, obviously, uh, for the reasons we talked about. Uh, But once that pulling is done, you know, we could spin up another cluster in, you know, Asia pack, whatever, uh, and it would be fine. Right. We would, maybe it would be a slightly slower just from overall latency and, and such, but uh, that doesn't matter nearly as much about you know, the actual pulling being close to the thing. And if containers do die, because of course they do, um, we don't really have to care or worry about that because they'll eventually get respawned and rabbit will keep all of our messages uh, because if the message never gets act, then, you know, the rabbit will try to re-deliver uh, whenever mm. the next kind of container you know, takes over for the for the one that got axed by Google for you know whatever reasons. But let me play right, devil's right. advocate here for a minute um, because we've made the argument at the top of the show that streaming telemetry was a bad fit for this application, and I I get it right, especially with this architecture where you're building out a set of containers to do specific functions per device, and so you've got this scaling component and all that, but. Well, let me make an assumption here that with a little more automation, you could push a telemetry destination into the config of those remote devices and, you know, have telemetry sent to those containers. Is that, or, or is that just so unrealistic that, um, that it's not even worth talking about? Well, so from the network config automation perspective that you mentioned, yeah, we got that. That's all taken care of. We've had that config automation for the routers like taken care of since like the second day of packet fabric so pushing that config out actually is the easiest thing we could do but the harder part is the alignment that we kind of alluded to before uh i don't know if this is too technical here but one of the things that we kind of do with the polar is we kind of squash timestamps a little bit but we align them so let's say it takes 13 seconds to pull a device, you know, with all the RPCs that we're doing and such. We kind of mark every message we send out of that polar for that pull interval with the same timestamp. And so while they may be misaligned by, you know, 13 seconds or whatever, within the context of that polling interval, all the RPCs are aligned with the polling interval start timestamp. And so that way when we receive it back up into our rabbit in the sky, you know, processing, we know that all of these messages are uh, essentially bound together as one kind of like view of that device, even though it may be spread over a 13 second window, we squash that timestamp into one timestamp. With streaming telemetry, you kind of have to realign some of that data, which is a little more difficult. So if you're just streaming telemetry data into the cloud, for example, then your alignment with when this happened, you know, this these particular statistics, do they line up with your view of what the device is at that point in time? That's that's the hard problem and why and why we chose polling over streaming telemetry in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was too no, well, you're dealing with a lot of very specific time stamps, and so time management and correlation is is a big deal. So, right, I, I won't claim to get all, all the minutia of, of uh, the drivers here, but but I get the big picture. You know, it, it's a timing uh, problem, and to put the context around the events that you want to, that gets done more easily for you if you're polling the data, where you're in control of this, you know, the time window. Uh, as opposed to just taking events as they come off the device. And back to what Carl mentioned kind of at the very beginning. Sorry, Carl, stealing all your thunder here. Um, was that uh, aliveness? So let's say you're still doing, you're, you're doing a hybrid of some polling and some streaming. Well, let's say you get a new picture of what the device is like. 
serial number, optical, uh, sorry, optic serial numbers, things like that. Well, what if you don't receive streaming telemetry data? How do you persist some of that other data? Do you write it without the stats? Do you include the stats? You now you've created a new problem with your perspective to your data. I guess I don't know bus if that made any sense. No, I, I'm trying to pick man. that apart in my brain a little bit. So I've got devices that if, if they're streaming telemetry and they just stop, uh, I'm not sure what happened. Is the does the device still exist? And there's an issue with it. Uh, it did it something about it change? Did it start sending its data somewhere else? So are you sort of indicating that by using this polling mechanism, you have a better idea of what happens to a device, maybe from the larger context of the environment? Yes, uh, it's the environment, but as well as depending on how you have your streaming telemetry set up, it gets much more complex. Uh, and it obviously depends on the vendor, too, um, on some earlier software revisions of one platform we were using in order to send the data directly off the line card, you had to be directly connected to the line card using uh, a point-to-point, -point, you know, IP segment like slash 31 or whatever. So, uh, but in other cases, as is advanced more, you can now send it, you know, streaming telemetry via, you know, the routing or the route table. But now you're going to get into a whole class of problems, which, you know, includes like, did we start black holing this traffic? Did we send it somewhere else? Did someone start <laughs> did someone start broadcasting our ingest IP somewhere else and they're actually discarding it? Because most streaming is stateless. It's either uh it's mostly GRPC over UDP um, for the most part. So so now when you're trying to troubleshoot liveness, you know, it gets a lot more difficult. <sighs> All right, gentlemen, this has been a, <laughs> a long and winding conversation here. Um, uh, but w one thing I think you've done effectively is make the case that, hey, for, even though streaming telemetry is all the rage and everybody's very excited about it and there's been tons of work done uh, with the networking industry and, and other folks uh, to create different streaming telemetry feeds, Depending on what you're trying to get done, it may not be the answer. So I, I think you've you've made a really good case for that. So it's kind of one concluding question I got here for you uh, to kind of tie this together. Should should I build this thing? Let's say I've got a bunch of stuff I, I want. Maybe it's network devices. Maybe it's other stuff. Should I build my own monitoring system? This thing sounds like a beast, but it also sounds like it was just the thing you needed. Absolutely not. Don't build it. Don't build the rabbit in the sky. No, I mean, I, I think, you know, like we've been talking, could we use streaming telemetry for a lot of this? Yeah, probably. Um, there'd be different problems and we'd be pushing problems around in different places. If you can use streaming telemetry and it works for you, then, you know, by all, by all means, uh, go for it. Um, but you could also build a good polling system that gets you the same or better or, you know, different um, outcomes to, to address the problems that you have. So it, you know, it, it depends, of course, that's always the answer. Um, if, if, if you can get something off the shelf that does what you want and what you need, then, then that's great. But, um, if not, then this is definitely a viable path. Um, and it's, you know, there's a lot of moving parts, but I, none of them in, uh, you know, taken at one time are, are wildly complicated or anything. So, mm. um, it definitely could be done. Yeah, I would like to speak to that as well. As I don't believe streaming as the unicorn of network statistics. And like Carl said, you're pushing problems around, which is the equivalent of squeezing the balloon. Hmm. You know, where where are you going to deal with the problem? Hmm. You know, squeezing depends. the balloon. I like that analogy. Yeah. You uh yeah. Right. You've, you've, you've moved the problem. You haven't made the problem go away. All right. All right. Now, we, we talked about this was uh, like a very detailed and like technically heavy episode. So for people that maybe got lost a little bit along the way, give us some concluding thoughts, like some takeaways that people could remember that are maybe higher level that they can uh, walk away with and, and, and maybe are actionable. Sure. So I guess I'll, I'll just kind of start with the first one. Um, it's the big one. Um, and 
it matters whether you stream or, or whether you pull. Um, but it's not just about time series data, and it's not just about you know that one uh, bit in time. Uh, the context is king, and, and without context, none of it really matters, right? Um, so that that's probably the single biggest kind of takeaway for everything, I think. Um, Context is king. Yeah. All right. And and then you know from from our perspective, I, I think that the it's easier to scale out polling than it is to scale out uh, streaming. Although you know perhaps there's there's a better way to do that that, I, that maybe I don't know. But in our case, it's it's pretty easy to to scale out the the situate or the the apparatus, I'll keep calling it that, um, that we've built because, you know, the polling happens kind of distributed at the edge near the devices. That's easy. And then obviously we have, uh, we can lean on Google to just keep spawning more containers to do all the kind of the processing. So there's never any one kind of single um, bottleneck for, for our polling um, system, which I think is pretty, pretty important. Well, Carl and Kevin, thank you for joining us in Day 2 Cloud today. Uh, Carl, speaking of apparatus, there's a great big one. It's called social media. It's the, it's, it's the internet apparatus to deliver advertising to you. Are you participating in the social medias where people could follow you if they like? Yeah, I am occasionally on the Twitters at Carl R. Montanari. Um, that's, that's pretty much the only social media. It's the only social, really, at all. Just full stop. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Blogging, anything like that? Uh, once upon a time, I have a blog, um, but uh, it hasn't been updated in like three or four years. So we'll just leave that off. Kevin, same question to you. Any way that people could contact you or follow you? Um, I guess if you... No, actually, I don't really have a large social media presence uh, myself, but I'm pretty easy to find if you did want to talk to me. Uh, okay, that's uh, Carl Montanari and Kevin Landreth, and thanks to both of them for appearing on Day 2 Cloud today. Virtual high fives to you for tuning in. If you stuck it out to the end, your brain is full of rabbits in the sky and so on. And hey, if you have suggestions for future shows, we would love to hear them. You could hit either of us up on Twitter. I'm at EC Banks. Ned is at Ned1313. If you want to be a little more anonymous, hey, fill out the form on Ned's website, nedinthecloud.com. If you like engineering-oriented shows like this, packetpushers.net slash subscribe. We've got a whole page there. You can find all the feeds to all of our different podcasts and blogs and so on. Uh, and there's, you know, not just Day 2 Cloud, but also Heavy Networking and the Network Break, IPv6 Buzz, Full Stack Journey, and more there for you. Nerdy content designed for your professional career development. And for the most part, it's free, all of it, because we're sponsor-supported and so on. Until then, just remember that cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. 